a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. And really what we should give some time to over these, uh, these weeks that are ahead of us. And I felt I wanted to underline some of our distinctives as a church. Now those of you who were at North, which was our weekend away at the end of the summer, bank holiday weekend with uh, about 2,500 people up in North Yorkshire from other New Frontiers churches around uh, what we call the North. Uh, You'll have heard Jeremy, who leads the team that serves those churches, talk about our distinctives as a team, uh, which I'm part of, and also, therefore, the distinctives of the churches that we work with. And uh, I'll probably show you the video that we've got about that next Sunday. But it was helpful to do that for us as a group of churches together. And I thought it would be helpful over the next few weeks of this term to take some time to look at what our distinctives as a church are. And the last time I did this was over a year ago, so I thought it was well worth time for a refresher. And uh, I thought it was worth looking at some of these subjects again. And I think it's important because we need to know why we're here. We need to know what's important. And uh, you know, we need to know what our distinctives are because different churches have different priorities. Now, it's not that that's wrong. That, that's, that's good, actually. And the economy of God, different churches have a different flavour or different things that are important to them. And so in this series, I want to underline what's important to us. And as you've seen from the screen behind me, we've called the series Church God's Way. Because these are not just my ideas. It's not that we've sat together as a leadership team or as elders and thought, I wonder what our distinctive should be. You know, I wonder what should be important to us. It's not that we've sat down and thought, well, we need to say something on these sort of mornings. So I wonder what it should be. You need to understand that in what we unpack over these next few weeks isn't just someone's good idea. But actually, it's what the Bible tells us. It's what the Bible teaches us that should be important to us, both us as individuals and us as a church. So is that okay? Does that give you some context? You know where we're heading? So uh, we're going to look this morning at worshipping in spirit and truth. Worshipping in spirit and truth. So let's pray and then we'll get into this together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for uh, your word to us. Lord, we want to say again, we love your words. We love the fact that you speak to us every time we open it. And as we open up your word together this morning, I pray that you would speak to us clearly. Father, as we look at uh, maybe passages we've read before that may be familiar to us, I pray, oh God, would you speak to us afresh. Lord, we want to open ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. Help us to understand what we read, what we hear. Help us to apply it to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so number one in this series then is worship in spirit and truth. What's important to us as a church? Number one, worship in spirit and truth. Now, when you use the word worship, I guess you, you naturally think of Sunday mornings. 
probably the default position, the first thing that comes into your mind is probably a gathering something like this. A motley crew assembled together at an unearthly hour on a Sunday morning in order to praise Jesus. That's probably what comes into your minds. But what I want to explain to us this morning and open up together is whilst worship does happen together, like we have experienced already this morning, that's not the entirety of what we mean by this phrase of worship in spirit and truth. Actually, it's only part of the picture. It's like seeing just a corner um, of a picture. If you maybe go to an art gallery, and if you maybe saw you know, a great painting, uh, but some of it was covered up you know, with brown paper, maybe they were restoring it, and just, uh, just a little corner was uh, available to see, you wouldn't get an idea of the whole thing, would you? You'd just get a rather distorted image of one part of it. And if we think of worship as just Sunday mornings, it's a bit like that. Because worship is so much more. I want to talk about worship being a personal priority, a living sacrifice, and a corporate experience. So if you're taking notes, they're your headings, and you can see where we go as we head through it. A personal priority, a living sacrifice, and a corporate experience. So firstly then, worship as a personal priority. Let me ask you, I wonder if you've got a to-do list. Anybody got a to-do list? Probably, if you're at work, you have got a to-do list. It probably has some input from your boss with a list of tasks that you are to uh, fulfill and make happen, probably with some deadlines there. And probably if you don't do them, there's some awkward conversations to be had in one of those pleasant review meetings. If you're married, you've probably got a to-do list. If you're a guy, maybe you haven't seen it, but I can assure you that your wife has a to-do list for you. Some of you girls are going, yeah, that's right. I know this to be true because we spent yesterday going through some of our to-do lists. Sarah said, let's have a jobs day. <laughs> Hallelujah, let's, let's do that. And uh, I'm not a great fan of DIY. Those of you who know me will know that to be true. But you know, I thought, you know what? I'm actually in the mood for some painting. And so uh, I got to, uh, to varnish and repaint one of our, uh, round one of our window frames and also around our garage door. Now, I tell you this because it's important. Next time you come to our home, the first thing you need to say to me is, that's great painting around the garage. Or, wow, doesn't the lounge window look good now? Because that will really help me and stir me for next time. But you see, Sarah and I, to be fair, together, do have a to-do list of what we need to do on our home. It's not all going to happen in one job's day, but over a period of time, we'll, we'll probably get through it. I wonder if you had a list for your life, what would be on it? Not just you know, decorating different rooms of a house that you need to get around to at some stage or not just the tasks that you need to fulfill at work or not even maybe the modules that you need to study and things you need to learn this semester. But what about your life as a whole? I wonder what might be on your to-do list. What's most, most important to you? Actually, although we joke about such lists, probably what's true is that what's most important to you isn't even on the list. I mean, if you're married this morning, 
I doubt very much whether number one on your list, or anywhere on your list, is love your wife or love your husband. Because if you need to write it on the list, probably something is wrong. Probably it's so important to you, it doesn't need to go on the list because you know it's there. And if you need to be reminded that you need to do that, then probably something isn't quite right. You know, I don't need to be reminded to love Sarah. You know, it's not on a to-do list anywhere. I just want to do it. She's my wife and I love her. I wonder about loving Jesus. Do we have to put that on a list? Well, I hope in some ways we shouldn't have to put it on a list because if we did, again, something would be a bit wrong. But in terms of giving time to loving him, it should be a priority. You see, unless you make some decisions about what's important to you, unless you decide, unless you probably sit down and decide some of the things that are important to you, I can guarantee what will happen. If you don't decide what's important to you, other people will. And if you don't decide what you're going to do with your time, then there are plenty of other people that can decide that for you. And if you, if you let that happen, then what's important and what you, know, you feel should be a priority will get pushed out as your time and your energy is dictated to you by other people. I wonder, if you were to ask Jesus what the most important thing is, I wonder what he'd say. If you were to go to him and say, Jesus, what's, what's the top commandment? What's number one on the list? What should I be thinking about the most? Well, someone did that. We read about it in Matthew chapter 22. Turn, turn with me if you've got a Bible with you. Matthew 22, verse 34. We'll read a few verses together. Because somebody asked Jesus this very question. And so his answer to them should be useful to us. It says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now bear in mind, let's be clear here, they're out to trick him. Right? It's not, you know, they're not always, oh, I wonder what Jesus might think about this. They're not just going to him for advice. When it says the Pharisees got together, what that means is they got together to work out a plan to try and trick him, to try and push him into a corner, to say something controversial that they could get him for. So this isn't really a genuine question. It is a question, but it's got an agenda to it. But listen what, listen what happens. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the Pharisees love the law. You know, that they were dedicated to keeping every minute detail of the law, even to the point of tithing their herbs and spices. I mean, it just got ridiculous. So what Jesus does is, he says, well, listen, all of the law that they're so interested in hangs on these two commandments. Number one, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I wonder why Jesus said that one. 
I wonder why that was top of the list. I wonder why that was the most important. You see, it wasn't be good. It wasn't, as the Pharisees might have expected, know the law and keep it all. It wasn't, you know, just a list of things like follow the rules, which maybe they were expecting. It was love God. Love God. And that's why for us as a church, our first and most important value is to love God. Above everything else. Above everything else. It's loving God. Not just a little bit. Jesus doesn't say, you know, just just love the Lord a bit. If you can, if you can sort of squeeze it into what you've got to do. No, no. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's pretty much everything, isn't it, really? I mean, there isn't much left after that. Jesus is saying, love God with everything you have. But why did Jesus say that? Is it because God is some sort of egocentric control freak who somehow needs our worship in order to survive? You know, that's where he gets his energy from. Is it like that? That would be crazy. Of course it's not like that at all. Jesus knows why. You see, he knows, and we know from the Bible, that you and I, we, we were made to worship. We were created to worship him. And worship fulfills our destiny. Worship fulfills our destiny. You know, eternity will involve worship. It's not all going to be just sitting around on a cloud with a harp. That, that's not what eternity is going to be like, thank goodness. But it will involve worship. Worshipping the King of Kings. But we get to start now. Because we were made to worship. It fulfills our destiny. And as well as that, worship realigns your soul. When you worship God, you put him in the place where he should be in your life. As you worship, as you focus on him, rather than your situation or your circumstances, it realigns some stuff in your life. It puts things back in the order they should be in. It puts God in a rightful place, number one spot in your life. That happens as you worship. And really nothing else does it quite like that. You, know, you could sit down and think, well, you know, I want God to be number one in my life. I want to, you know, want to make sure that he's the most important. And you, you could try and figure it out. But listen, nothing does it quite like worshipping him. As you give yourself to him with everything you have, it sort of happens as a byproduct. Worship realigns your soul. It reminds you that he's the creator and you and I, we're the created. He's in charge and we're not. N.T. Wright in Simply Christian says this. He says, this brings us to the first of the two golden rules at the heart of spirituality. You become what you worship. You hear that? You become what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. Those who worship money become eventually human calculating machines. Those who worship sex become obsessed with their own attractiveness or prowess. Those who worship power become more and more ruthless. So what happens when you worship the creator God whose plan to rescue the world and put it to right has been accomplished by the lamb who was slain? 
The answer, N.T. Wright says, comes in the second golden rule. Because you are made in God's image, worship makes you more truly human. When you gaze in love and gratitude at God, in whose image you are made, you do indeed grow. You discover more of what it means to be fully alive. Challenging, isn't it? Who wants to be more fully alive? Anybody? Sounds good, isn't it? I guess all of us do. If that's the case, then, friends, worship needs to be right at the heart of who we are. You see, as you worship, you become more like Jesus. You become what you worship. It's a challenge, isn't it? Now think about what you spend your time on or you know, what consumes your mind. You're becoming like that. But if you're letting Jesus consume your mind and your thoughts, then you're becoming more and more like him. You see, it's not by trying harder that you become more like Jesus. It's not by thinking, oh, must try harder, must become more like Jesus, must be more loving, must, must be kinder, must be more patient. You know, you try all these things. Friends, it's not like that. It actually is you give yourself to him in worship, you become more like him. Actually, the same is true in terms of you know, trying to overcome things in your life. You think, oh, I don't want to start doing this or I'll stop doing that or whatever it might be. But if you focus on that, your head's down. You need to lift your head up, focus on him in worship. And if you do that, then you'll find that other things start to get put into place almost without you realizing it. So let me ask you, is worship a priority for you? For you as an individual, is worship a priority? Well, how can you make it a priority? Well, you give time to it. That's how you make it a priority. Not just singing songs, though it would include that, clearly. But, you know, things like reading God's words. Now, allowing your heart to be stirred by this book. Getting a bigger, deeper, wider, fuller understanding of the wonder of who God is and all he has done for you. See, the more you appreciate all that he's done for you, the more you want to worship. And the more you worship, the more you'll become like him. He is great. It really is. So sing songs that express your love and devotion to God. Sing in tongues. Allow your spirit to, to worship Jesus. Now, when you're walking the dog, doing the ironing, driving to work, whatever it might be, you can use that time to worship him. I've come to realize the difference between putting on a worship CD in the car and having it there as music and actually worshiping. It's easy to put the music on and think, oh, yeah, that's some, some nice music. But actually, that doesn't mean you're worshipping. It just means you've got some music on in the background. I have to sort of consciously think, no, no, I'm not just going to listen to it, but I want to worship. And you see, as we're making worship a personal priority for us as individuals, as it's a personal priority to you and to, to me, then actually it's a priority for us as a church as well. When we gather, we give time to worshipping Jesus together. Church, God's way. We give time to worshipping him. That's why we're giving good time to him. It's not just a couple of songs and then get into the Bible. We want to give time to, to singing, uh, focusing on him in order that we might encounter him, in order that we might worship him, lift him up, declare our love for him, declare that he is Lord, 
as we do that, he meets us. As, he, as happened this morning, we sense God's presence. He comes to us. So what is true for us as individuals is also true, friends, for us as a church as well. But as well as it being a, a personal priority of, of worship, we also get to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. In Romans 12, Paul says this to the church that he's, he's writing to. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says clearly that the way you live your life is worship. Now, this is both good news and bad news, depending upon how you live your life. You see, if you live in your life in a way that honours God in everything you do, in the, in the mundane of everyday life, I think there was a prophetic word at North about the baked beans of life, wasn't there? You know, just the everyday things. If you're honouring God in those things, then that's worship. The way you ironing the clothes, shopping, cleaning the car, taking the kids to school, studying, working, hanging out with friends, whatever it might be, you can do that in a way that honours God, that honours Jesus, it is worship. But if the way you live your life during the week isn't honouring to God, then actually that's a reflection of what's important to you as well. Now, in the Old Testament, the people of God, like they knew all about sacrifices. If you read the Old Testament, they were told to, uh, to offer certain sacrifices at certain times. You know, they knew all about that. You know, they knew about bringing the dead animal and, uh, or the live animal that was, that was then uh, killed and offered as a sacrifice. You know, they, they knew about that. They knew what it meant. So when Paul uses the word sacrifice, you know, they've got that image in their minds. But you see, rather than saying, you know, bring a dead sacrifice or bring an animal or a bird or something and offer it, what Paul says now is actually offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, he says. So Paul is saying now that you offer God a living sacrifice. And it's not you bring something else, it's you. You are the sacrifice. And the good news is you're not going to have to die in the process physically, although you do die to yourself because he's Lord and you're not. But you offer him yourself, a living sacrifice. You're saying, Lord, take all of me. Let it all be worshipped to you. And then the way you live out your life is honouring to him. Or not, as the case may be. So how do you do that? Well, verse 2 there tells us how. It's by not conforming to the pattern of this world. So another translation puts it like this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remould your minds from within. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould. There is a world around us. There is a culture that we live in that wants to squeeze us into a certain mould. I want you to say no to that. 
Actually, we need to be dictated to by the word of God, by what he has for us, not by culture that we live in. So don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remould your minds from within. How does that happen? Well, it happens as you worship him. Because as we worship, we're putting God in the right place in our lives. He's doing something in our hearts that's enabling us to worship him. He's like reordering some stuff in our heads, in our minds. It's like remoulding us from the inside, as this translation puts it. The message translation puts it like this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. See, the way you live your life, the way you study, the way you work, the way you party, can all be done to the glory of God. as worship. You see, loving God, worshipping him, means following him. It's about obedience, it's about dedication, it's about giving to him our time, our energy, our money, our worship. It's offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. But you see, having worship as a personal priority, having it as being a living sacrifice, that all leads to then a corporate experience. That's what we're honing in on this morning as we look at church, God's way. A corporate experience. So typically when we think of worship, as we said earlier, we tend to think of the corporate experience, don't we? Be it a Sunday morning like this, be it a, a life group meeting in the week, be it maybe a, a large conference or another event, is gathering with others to worship. And you see, the Bible assumes that we'll do that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, when you come together, there is an assumption there that you will. It's not if you come together, it's, like, it's not if you happen to make it, it's when you come together, this is what happens. And he goes on to talk about some things. We'll look at those in some coming weeks, I'm sure. But there's a caution here that I want to offer to us, which is this. If we're not careful, we can worship worship itself. Particularly in the days of celebrity worship leaders. Have you got the latest album by whoever your favourite might be? You know, I've got the albums, most of them, many of them. You know, I like listening to them. It's great to hear some new songs. I appreciate the musicality. They help me to worship. But if we're not careful, we can get into worshipping worship. We can love worship more than we can love Jesus. I want to play you a video that I came across this week. You may have seen it uh, online already, some of you. Um, But let me play you this, which challenges, perhaps, what happens in worship on a Sunday morning.
because we know that sometimes we can get into some of those things. Let's make sure that we're not loving worship more than loving Jesus. Is your worship genuine? Is it from the heart? Terry Virgo in his book, The Spirit-Filled Church, quotes John Piper, who in turn quotes C.S. Lewis. That's not sort of writing books, as you see. It's just getting quotes or quotes of... Of quotes, but anyway, C.S. Lewis says this, and, it says, and, and Piper says, "We delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliments that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed." John Piper goes on. There is the solution. We praise what we enjoy because the delight is incomplete until it is expressed in praise. If, it were not allowed to, if we were not allowed to speak of what we value and celebrate, what we love and praise, what we admire, our joy would not be full. So it's actually as we worship, as we express our praise to Jesus, and that helps to fulfill it. That helps us to experience it more. We get to enjoy God more. Are you enjoying God? Let me ask you this morning, are you enjoying him or are you just going through the motions to take the line from the song there? We worship God because he is worthy. 2 Samuel 22 verse 4 says, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman in, uh, in John 4. She's getting hung up on about you know, where you should worship. And Jesus makes it clear it's not about where, it's about how. Where isn't so important, it's how. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. 
So what does it mean to worship in the Spirit? Or in spirit, as some translations put it. It means to be led by the Spirit. It means to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us as we worship. As we worship, we're led by the Spirit and we encounter God, or at least we should. So is worship for you singing a few songs, or is it about encountering God? Worship is not watching the band, good though they are. It's not just singing some songs. It's not even having contributions. I mean, we love contributions. But actually, all those things are not an end in themselves. They just help us to encounter Jesus. He's going after God's presence. Now, we know that God is everywhere. You know, you look like, you know, people who, who know your Bible. You know you could say to me, Graham, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You'd say that, wouldn't you? Yeah. That's true. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. It's clear the Bible teaches us that God's presence is everywhere. But as well as his omnipresence, we might call it, God being everywhere, there's God's particular presence. The here and now. His manifest presence, as we sometimes call it. So when Solomon in 2 Chronicles was praying after dedicating the temple, the temple was filled with the glory of God. God was already everywhere, but he manifested his presence in that moment, in that place. Now Moses, we're told, wouldn't go anywhere without God's presence. Well, that's a bit odd. God's everywhere. Well, yes, he is, but Moses wanted his manifest presence. He wanted to experience God. And he wasn't prepared to go anywhere Without that, without God going to. Are you that fussy? Are you as fussy as Moses was? Are you saying, no, no, I don't want to go anywhere without the presence of God? Do you want to encounter him? You see, in the Bible, as, you, as people encounter God, then lives are changed. If you want your life to be changed, you need to encounter God. Maybe you've never encountered him. Maybe this morning you've come, maybe for the first time, you actually never encountered God before. Maybe you come with a friend. You're thinking, can my life be changed? Can there be hope? Is there a future? Can these things be resolved? Listen, time and again in the Bible we see as people encountered God, things changed. You want to encounter him. You can encounter him even this morning. So how do you do that? Well, three things very quickly as we begin to finish. Number one, come ready to worship. How do we encounter God on a Sunday morning? Come ready to worship. Can I ask you, please don't be offended at this, um, come ready to worship God and come on time to worship God. Listen, if you were going to go and see the Queen, I guarantee you'd get there early. You would. You'd get an early train or you'd drive down the night before, you'd be there back in the palace before you needed to be in order to meet your appointment with her. We don't come to the Queen, we come to the King of Kings on a Sunday, to worship him. Let's come on time, get here early. Now, well, that honours God, but also it helps welcome people, welcome visitors. Visitors, just close your eyes for a moment, close your, eyes, close your ears for a moment. Church, listen up. Typically, visitors come here early because they're not sure where to go or how to get in or where you're going to park or, you know, so they're here before most of us often. So, you're not offended. But listen, take it, let's take it on board. Get here early. Get here ready to worship. 
You know, we all know what it's like. I know what it's like. I've got three kids. If they're going to get difficult any day of the week, if things are going to go wrong, if something's going to happen at home, probably it'll be on a Sunday morning. And it just seems how it is. And if it's going to get them in a car, whatever it, whatever it might be, it's easy to get stressed out on a Sunday morning. Let's arrive in good time, get our hearts right with God. Let's get ready to worship. And also, number two, come expectant to meet with God. What do you expect will happen? If you expect nothing, probably nothing will happen. But if you expect to meet with God, then maybe you might too. Because you know what? He wants to meet with you. So the Bible teaches us very clearly, God wants to meet with you. And come expecting and wanting to participate as well. We haven't got time to look at that this morning. But come expecting and wanting to participate. The Bible talks about when you come together, everyone will have a a song or a hymn or a psalm or a prophetic word or a tongue or interpretation. Now, we haven't got time on a Sunday for everybody to bring something, but anybody could. So come expecting that God may use you. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So let's worship God in spirit and truth, loving God because he is worthy. So as we finish, let me ask you a couple of questions in closing. How are you going to make worship a personal priority? What do you need to do, maybe in your life this week, in the coming days? What do you maybe need to change or think about for you to make worship a personal priority. And secondly, as we gather together corporately, what contribution will you bring? Why don't we be praying about it this week? Why don't we be asking God, Lord, would you give me something to bring next week? Would you, you know, enable me to bring a song or a psalm or a, or a word? Be asking God what it might be. Don't let your worship experience just be observational. It's not like just going to a football match and watching. I want to invite you to get in the game, to experience God as we worship him together. You know, I wonder what your contribution might be. If you're in a tough time at the moment, your contribution might be your presence. You're just here and others can encourage you. In the good times, you can be encouraging others in the contributions that you bring. Hebrews 13, verse 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Let's make that continually more than just Sundays. Make worship your life. Worship God in spirit and truth. Make loving God your number one priority. And you know what? As you do that personally, That will help us to do that together. Church, God's way, number one, loving God. The band can come back up and pray as we close. Thanks, guys. Why don't we stand together? Let's pray. We're pretty much out of time, but I'd love us to respond in worship. If the guys can lead us in a song just to respond to the Lord. That would be appropriate to this message. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do love you. We do really love you. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you that you are everywhere. But thank you, Lord, for your manifest presence as well as we gather. 
I want to pray for each of us this morning, Lord, that we would make worship a personal priority, that we would live lives of a living sacrifice to you. And that, Lord, as we gather together as a church, Father, the times of worship together would honour you. I pray that we times of encountering you, not just singing of songs, but encountering you, of changed lives, of you speaking, of you giving gifts, of you ministering to us as we give you ourselves. Lord, we thank you that we were created to worship you. Thank you, Lord, that as we focus on you, you change our hearts, you work in our lives, and Lord, you glorify Jesus. Let's worship him now. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.